0: Good morning, Calvary. Hope you've enjoyed worship. As we have a couple more weeks left of this living room setting, I want to remind you that we will continue to do live stream through the month of June, even as we go to an orange light. Be looking for more information as we go. We've been walking through the, the story of Philippians, and it's centered around Philippians chapter two, when it really describes this beautiful centrality of Christ as it relates to all of our lives. So, Paul is in the midst of this great turmoil and struggle. He's in prison, and his life is in danger. And as he's looking to the future, unlike kind of what we're going through, Paul's future does not look bright. It just doesn't. And I hope that you sense that as we've been going through this pandemic, there is a hope that we have that we're not going to be doing this forever, that our gathering is going to continue. But Paul is addressing them. And as in chapter four, he's really trying to address them in a time when Nero is about to get on his throne. If you don't know who Nero was, Nero um, lit Christians on fire to light up the night street at the time. And they began to sense the persecution that was coming. And Paul was challenging them to continue to keep the centrality of Christ in mind as they go through this. In the midst of everything that's going on, to forget about what is behind, reaching forward to attaining the presence and the power of what Jesus wants to do in their life. Now, here's where it gets exciting to me. As he's seguing into chapter four, he's challenging the brothers and sisters to not only look after themselves, but to see the body as the body, to see the importance of the body, the church, understanding that everybody has to play their part. He does it, Because there's a dispute that that weighs out, so let's look at that real quick in verses one through three. So then, my dear, dearly loved, and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown in this manner stand firm in the Lord. Dear friends, I urge Eudoa, and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of the co-workers whose names are in the book of life. So what's going on here? Like I said, he's addressing the body. Brothers and sisters, you're a part of this bigger picture of what the gospel kingdom movement is doing. And like we talked about last week, we are servants of the king. We're not trying to be our own king because we talked about last week, if you play king of the mountain with the world, you're going to get tossed. And so when you recognize that you are here to serve the king, and you are unified in the mission of keeping Jesus, the centrality of our faith, as the king of our lives, then ultimately what we have an obligation to do is to play our part as the body of the believers. So, yes, are there times when we might sit there and go, as it talks about in Corinthians, am I a a left pinky? That was actually right pinky, but, you know, am am I a pinky or am I... An elbow? Am I a liver? What's, what's my role? And some roles are more visible than others, and some roles are hidden, and some roles are, are more obvious, and some are, are less obvious. But you know what happens if someone goes and chops off the left pinky versus someone takes out a liver? You're in pain no matter what. And if the body isn't functioning as a whole, the body is hurting. And so all of us have this role to play, And he's saying, we need to understand that as part of the body is struggling, we need to rally around them. So he's saying, I want to urge you you, to help Euodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. In other words, I have heard of their fight. Have you ever noticed that when fights break out in the church, people want to take sides? Now, here's the brilliant thing that Paul does. He acknowledges that there is a disagreement. But he also acknowledges that he has seen evidence of Jesus in both these ladies and Clement. So what happens a lot of times in churches is we forget where our focus is. We forget what we're supposed to be looking at. And when a disagreement happens, people want to take side. Should we open the church? Should we close the church? Take a side. Should we be... This political party or that political party, take a side. And and it seems like that's the way the world wants to do is is we want to isolate. But the Bible actually asks us to come together. And the way this works a lot of times is we sit there and go, well, I love the Lord. So if you love the Lord, you must agree with me because the Holy Spirit's in me. And if you don't come to the same conclusion that I do, then you must not love the Lord. Right? That's not what's going on at all. Paul's addressing them, and he's saying, no, if you're going to be my joy, my crown, show that the gospel can work through you and with you, despite the disagreements that are going on. So how do we handle that? How do we handle when disagreements arise? To do that, I want us to look at what he's really getting to, and he's talking about the idea of standing firm. In this manner, stand firm in the Lord, that idea of standing firm means I'm on solid ground. I'm not easily swayed. Now, if you came up and attacked me right now, I, you could probably win, because I'm sitting. But if I'm standing, I, I'm engaged. When I thought about that standing firm illustration and the idea of, okay, I'm, I'm holding my ground. I, I'm ready to go, not for my own glory, but representing the body of Christ. I, I thought of the the same author, Paul, describing the illustration found in Ephesians six of putting on the armor of God. We find in Ephesians chapter 6, he talks about, as he's putting on the body of Christ, uh, putting on the... Help me out, I'm lost. The armor, armor, thank you, mental brain. Um, The armor of uh, our faith, as he's doing that, it starts by saying, stand with truth like a belt around your waist. Now, the idea of standing with truth the belt is key. The belt around his waist, we don't understand this. For many of us, the belt is decorative. Now you may not know this and he's going to probably kill me, but Chris actually has a huge belt buckle that says the Toaf on it. And I, I wanted to maybe show that. Maybe we wear that the first Sunday we're all back. tof, you good with that? And so, but I love that because a lot of times in our society, because I'm from Texas and that's really common in Texas, the belt is less actually practical and more decorative. But in that time, the belt was essential, why? Because their outfits were more like dresses. Now, what I don't always understand because I've never really worn dresses and what a lot of men may struggle to understand is if you have a really long dress, it's really hard to run because your knees can only go so far. And it's probably even harder to fight in a dress. And so what they were doing when they put that belt on, it gave them a way to cinch the waist and thus wrap, give them a place to wrap the tunic so that they could get in a fighting position. And that was a starting mentality. In addition to that, the belt held in the breastplate. And it, it gave the breastplate a place to hold in the bottom so it wouldn't come flying up. It also provided a, a place to hang the sword from So the idea of putting the belt on first was the essential first piece. It wasn't the last piece. It was one of the first pieces they put on to complete the armor of God. I remembered at that time. But as they're putting on that, and it describes it as putting on the truth. Now, here's why we have disagreements, right? What's the truth? We look for truth and forget what he's really talking about. Truth in this instance, is not a list of facts for the sake of knowledge. The truth for the believer is believing that God has created, it's believing what he has said, and asks us to embrace in order that we might be able to sustain our relationship with him. It's a very big difference when you walk around trying to have a bunch of knowledge in your head without knowing how to apply it. The purpose of the truth that we are supposed to wrap ourselves in is understanding that God is truth. And so if he says it, it's good. Now, news will make mistakes. Pastors will make mistakes. And so that sometimes can lead to disagreements. But our enemy in this instance, for the people who really seek truth, our enemy is not a list of facts or even people who are disagree over the facts. In fact, right before he discusses the armor of God in Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, it says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord in his vast strength and put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of darkness, against evil, spiritual forces, in heavens. So what he's really saying there is our enemy are not people, is not people. Our enemy are the spiritual warfare that's going on around us. And the enemy wants to convince you that your way's right, Why? Because it it elevates you as a king. The enemy wants to convince you that there should be division in the church. Why? Because he can't always get to the whole... But if he could create a division, the enemy wants us to be... And Paul is sitting here going, while imprisoned, right? Encouraging the people in Philippi, stand firm. Or as one person put it, don't drift. As you are unified, you're trying to stay in the lane that leads us on the road to the gospel of Christ. And when I think of staying in the lane, you know what illustration I think about with that? We have a a car in our our house. When we first got this car, um, I noticed it had lane drift assistance. It doesn't take hold of the steering wheel and put you back in the middle, although it could do that, but I turned that off because it was really annoying. But rather, uh, this one beeps at you if you cross a line without your arrow on. And when I first did this, I thought, this is really cool. And about 30 minutes later, I started realizing how annoying that was. You know why? Because apparently, I'm not that careful when there aren't a lot of cars around about what lane I'm in, especially on some of these two lane roads out in the country. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna round this corner instead of staying in my, and it goes, beep. And I'm like, I know, I did that on purpose, you stupid thing. And so I, it's kind of annoying, except for the fact that the other day I was driving, and I, I don't know what exactly happened, but for whatever reason, I got distracted and I found myself looking down at my leg and all of a sudden it went beep and I went stupid thing. And I realized I was halfway in the oncoming train, uh, oncoming lane traffic. And at that point, that thing was very essential. And so what he's saying is stand firm, church. Help each other to be that little beep, stay in the lane. You're, you're out of the target. you're you're drifting, You're, you're losing the sight of the destination we're on. Stay in the lane that keeps us going towards the centrality of Christ because our enemy isn't to the right or to the left of us. It's losing our focus. That's really a big part of this in which he's talking about. So when we speak the truth, it is not about being right, but pointing to people pointing people to that which ties us all together. Let me say that again. When we speak the truth, it is not about being right, but pointing people to that which ties us together, the centrality of Christ. And so we are broken. We recognize that we have the tendency to wonder, And we have a tendency sometimes to look at the problems to the right or the left and to go, well, look at them. That that grass over there looks so green. Why can't my yard be that green? Look at the Joneses up the street. Look what what they're doing or all these things. How do we keep our focus? In 4.4 it says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoicing is the way that he says to keep your eyes focused forward. Why? Because if you're really looking at Christ, you have a lot to be thankful for. Even in the midst of the worst circumstances, shackled to a prison cell, he had a lot to be thankful for. I know where my security is. I know where my heaven is. I know where my destination is. I don't need to care what the neighbor's yard looks like. I don't need to care what's going on over there. I I am rejoicing because I've kept my eyes forward. So I wonder this last week, I know that there are optimists and pessimists, and if you're naturally geared towards pessimism, you're probably sitting there going, oh, here he goes again, which is a pessimistic attitude, I get that. But there's a difference in being naturally wired to pessimism and naturally wired to complaining. Pessimism, that word, can lead to skepticism, which can be healthy. But if you're overly pessimistic for the sake of missing out the joy in your life, that is not of God. The joy of God will always get you to really center your life in going in the direction that leads us to him. So let me ask you this. Those of you who this last week have struggled with your joy, ask yourself honestly, how often have you complained? How often have you been negative? How often have you been cynical and claimed it's not your fault? You're just looking at the truth. That's not the truth. The truth is that God is and always will be faithful. And his love will never fail. And you have many blessings. It's not to to mitigate your pain. If you lose your job, it's going to hurt. But you can have joy through that still by keeping your focus looking forward. And the way that's going to unfold is in verse five, it says, let your graciousness be known to everyone that the Lord is near. So as you rejoice, your graciousness, now graciousness right there is the idea of reasonableness or moderation. So when things are going great, you're not like, oh, Oh, life is awesome. I have it mastered out. Like when you have the, the, the child and you think, oh, this is so easy. And then you have your third child and you go, what were we thinking, right? Or when you have everything going, it's not too up, but it's also not too down. So that when you're sitting there going through difficult times, the world looks at you and go, how are you able to have joy? Well, I've been gracious to receive what God has given me. The joy of the gift through the Lord. And notice that It's a command. Rejoicing is a command. Letting our graciousness be known is a command. It's not an option. And that is the truth that God has asked us to follow. So if you're going to claim to have the knowledge of truth and you're going to be a miserable person, then you don't have the knowledge of truth because the truth says to rejoice. The truth says, and we have to... I have to struggle with that all the time. I, there's many times where I look in the mirror and I go, "Daniel, what qualifies you to be a pastor? You're you're do you even practice what you preach?" But I get down and I get up and I say, "Come follow me. Come imitate me because I'm not I'm not mastering this, guys. But I believe that God wants us to be on the road to find our peace, rest in him. So the way that I really do this is I try to think about the illustration, okay, how then, if I'm supposed to rejoice, how then am I supposed to do that in a way? And I, it makes me think of a camera illustration. I'm currently looking at two cameras. And the cameras are focused, right? But you know what an amazing thing has happened in the evolution of cameras through the years? When, back when I was growing up, they had cameras. I remember my first camera was a little box thing. And you would take 24 pictures and you'd hope you have four good ones right? Now, here's how the average American practices uh, photography now. They pull out their iPhone. They don't know what they're doing. They'll take a thousand pictures. Hello, moms, right? A thousand pictures to try to find the same four pictures that 20 years ago we would take to find the same four pictures because it's like, I don't want to have to work it. One of these will be good. It's like rapid flash, rapid flash. And I think a lot of times that's how we view joy. It's like, okay, this isn't work. Let's go over here. This isn't working. This is okay. And so we we scatter our attention and our focus, hoping to find a little bit of joy. But you know, the expensive cameras, and even now some of the iPhones and some of those, and a lot of you are like, Daniel, this has been around for a while. I know, but it's still relatively new technology in the grand scheme of things. There's this little thing that allows you to center, unlike the head, of a person you're trying to focus on. So if your kid is on the stage of a big performance, you can point your finger on your kid's head, many illustrations there, and put your finger on your kid's head and the camera will focus on your kid's head and from there out, the focus will go. Where's your focus? When was the last time that you looked through the lens that God has given you And said, okay, yeah, the road is, the horizon ahead of me is wide. But I'm going to focus on Jesus. And being intentional of taking that time to focus on rejoicing, on graciousness, and the blessings that you have received from Jesus will help you no matter what comes ahead. Which then leads us to, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God as you focus on seeing that the Lord is near, that his presence is always with us, as if you carried around, I have my uh, thing still in my pocket that I'm carrying around to remind me that God's presence is with me and I need to be plugged into his power. If you do that, then you you begin, begin to really understand, okay, God has a way and a plan. And it is this truth, not a bunch of facts, that I'm called to lean into. And then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, knowledge, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. I love that. And I I love where that that passage kind of winds up. Now, there's a lot more in verse 8, but we're going to probably get there later down the road. But that idea of verse 7, it says, the peace of God, which surpasses all that I can understand, all that I can comprehend, everybody just, I don't have to know where this road ends. I just got to stay on the course. And God has given us the ability to stay on track, to stay on course, to know the, the direction we need to go. And So we need to stand firm and not get sidetracked by the yard sale or the neighbor's yard that we wish we envied or the really big house, or the whatever it might be. But rather, we need to look to Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. This is why Jesus died on a cross. If you don't know him today, I would encourage you to realize that Jesus died for you in your brokenness. He made a way for you to have a relationship with him. And this is the truth that really matters. God loved you enough to send his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish. We can live with him from now and through eternity. If you've never done that, receive Jesus, would you reach out to us at yourcalvary.info slash follow and let us check in with you? For the Christian in the room, you know what? We're going to get distracted. But I want to encourage you this week, I want you to encourage you to really make sure that you are following the command of rejoicing and being gracious even keel. And the way that we're going to do that is here's the daily training. I want you to restate your intent to focus on Christ as a household. So right after this, maybe the first thing you do, if you, if you have two little kids in the house, you're going to turn off the TV and say, you know, kids, we don't really talk about this much, but here's why mom and dad have given our lives to Jesus. And let that really, that might be the best sermon your kids have ever heard. What would it look like if three college students who are living together right now, what would it look like if you paused and really just started a dialogue? What if, if you're watching this with another family for whatever reason, and you're sitting there, maybe you pause and you have a conversation and you're saying, okay, what's it going to take for us to make sure that we are focusing on where we need to go this week, keeping our eyes focused, rejoicing, and being gracious as we go forward? Guys, we're going to be gathering together again soon but let's not lose sight of where we are now. We're still on the road where we need to be now. I love you. Let me have a word of prayer for us, and then we're going to sing another song. God, I thank you for what you're doing in our life. Thank you for this church. Thank you for those who are in it. Help us to hold each other accountable, to, to get back on the road, to not drift. Help us to stay focused on you as the author of our faith, the perfecter of our faith. And God, help our truth to come not from our own intellect, but that which comes from you. Be glorified. your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today in worship. Wherever you are, know that we love you and care for you. If you have any needs, feel free to reach out to us at yourcalvary.info. And as we go today, may the grace of God be with you. May His peace comfort you. May you stay focused on Him and see how good He really is. We love you guys. Talk to you next week.